0: good morning lansing it's saturday and the time is 1106 the pet experts are in the building and it's time for the mid michigan pet expert talk show on more compelling talk radio 1320 wils now your hosts lee cohen and
1: rick prutz welcome pet keepers to this week's mid michigan pet expert talk show I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Bruce. Good morning, Rick.
0: Hey, Lee, you're not too shabby either, buddy.
1: Hey, I appreciate that, Rick. But this week, boy, did I feel shabby because I have to say the COVID finally got me.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> my God. And you're looking okay now. Well, yeah, we skipped last week, and uh, for well, those who don't com- know, we had to throw in a... Best of the old times. Well, so. I
1: apologize for that, but I got to say uh – Having been through that experience, I'm glad to be around people again because talk about seclusion. Uh, The only good news for you is it made me appreciate that I have to go get that fish tank for my wife because I could have used the company (laughs) (laughs) this past week.
0: You need a little fish friend.
1: (laughs) I do. Yeah, I needed something because I wasn't allowed to hang out with the dog. I wasn't allowed to hang out with any people. And I was thinking that, boy, you know, a uh, beta or something like that would have been good company for me during the COVID times. But well, I am look, glad to you, be back. You got
0: good color in your face. You I'm got back. your voices back. I listened to him last week. Everybody listening in right now, you would not have wanted to hear him. His voice was pretty Pretty rough.
1: It was, no question, but I'm glad to be back. But this week, Rick, we were talking about a topic that we could speak on, and it occurred to me that you guys have one of the most original things I've ever seen in a pet store. I have never seen a bug bar before, and you guys have got one, and it occurred to me, Do people even know what this is? Are they thinking that it's like a Star Wars bar,
0: (laughs) or what is it? Well, we're going to have Sean Murphy on, and uh, I won't uh, labor too much on uh, what the bug bar is. We'll let people uh, conjure up images between now and when we take a break, and he'll be back after the break. Uh, But, you know, it's all part of uh, we want to be, as a store, this fun, enjoyable um, destination location. You know, if you come in, I just bring it back to when I was a young kid and we went to the farmer's market. And the one that we went to, it was like Green Acres, and it had this giant, uh, big uh, green giant that was there. And as kids were in the station wagon pulling up, and you saw that giant, big green giant, and then you'd go into the the, the food market, and it was just – Lots of life, lots of activity, lots of things going on. And, you know, I want the pet store to be that kind of thing. I want it to be atmosphere. I want it to be more than just a place you go to buy goods. I want it to be something that uh, uh, when a child comes in or an adult even comes in, you know, they, they it's an experience. It's something different than they would normally expect. Why not? You know, we've been in business now. We're going to have our 40th anniversary coming up why not each year you're in business try to come up with something that's going to make that store better? And that's what we've always tried to do. And even now I, I'm like, damn, I, I, I kick dirt and, and I get like annoyed that this isn't done or this isn't accomplished or this is falling apart or this what. But on any given day I have to be thankful, thankful for all of our customers, everybody that shows up, which we have lots of people showing up, all my employees that are just like, Rock stars. I can't say enough about them. Uh, it takes quite the talent and quite the energy to make a story like ours work, and and it works. So I'd be. So I'm glad you thought about this as a topic this week because I think it's worth talking about because it's a very integral part of what makes Bruce Pet successful. And uh, well, plus Sean Marf- Murphy is a pretty interesting character in and of himself. Besides being a zookeeper up till the time he came back to Proust he was there for, I think it was 10 years, he was a, a zookeeper um, at three different zoos. Uh, he has just a world of experience, and uh, listening to him on the radio... It's good talk. Well, to me, the other thing
1: is, if you're not a reptile keeper, I don't think most people recognize what these animals eat, and I don't think that it's ever even occurred to a lot of people that keeping insects alive inside your store is what you need to do in order to take care of these animals, and it's, it's just it's an interesting topic that I don't
0: think a lot of people think about. Uh, mouths to feed, and in the case of us, thousands of mouths out there that need cared for. You know, we we need to provide that lifeline. It's a lifeline. Yeah. You know, where will that li- lizard be, that reptile be, if it doesn't have that small animal? Well, the good news is they're probably in line at
1: the bug bar, and we'll talk about that with Sean Murphy right after the break on the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on thirteen twenty WILS. Wanna walk home from school? Well, I say.
0: two legs, good. Four legs, better. Any more or less than that? It's a party. It's the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS.
1: I am the little red rooster. Two legs. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and Rick, we have with us on the line a returning guest. It's Sean Murphy, who is the, I don't know what to
0: say, the Swiss Army knife at, at Bruce Pets. Is that fair? <laughs> well, he's also a Guinness Book <laughs> World Record holder, <laughs> and it's appropriate and ties in today's uh, conversation, but we'll get more into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back to the show,
1: Sean. That's what I have to say.
2: Thank you. It's
1: good to be back. Oh, it's good to have you. Sean, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because there's been a thing that I've been seeing when I walk into your store. And I admit to you, I understand it, but I don't understand it. And I said to Rick, you know, this has been here for almost a year, and I don't think we've ever talked about it on the air other than to say it was here and i want to talk about it so let's talk about the bug bar because i don't know anybody else who
0: has a bug bar
2: well uh i mean if you're going to talk bug bars truth would be the place that you would see it so um and, we, and uh, just so the audience od-
0: up- well just so the audience knows. It's where it's where bugs can come in, sit down, and have a brew, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or do you or do you sit down and have a drink, and
1: someone bugs the hell out of you? Well, I mean, would, I don't that know. What happen if Lee came into a bar? <laughs> what happened
2: think, when I Rick and came into the bar? I think it's where uh, a grasshopper can come in and have a mint julep. <laughs> there you go. There you go.
1: No, but seriously, for anyone who walks in and looks to the left inside Pruce Pets, there's a Big huge sign that says Bug Bar. What is it and why do you have it?
2: Well, um, first of all, it kind of goes with Rick's vision of the store. I mean, if you've been to the store, you know it's got kind of a, a Caribbean theme and kind of like a I don't, I mean, if you've been to the store, it's unique. Um, so one of it was he always wanted like kind of like a bar style setup to buy feeder insects, similar to how if you go back to the fish room, there's the tiki hut for going and getting your water testing.
0: Um,
2: So we decided to go along with that theme is making this bug bar where essentially you come up and that's where you can buy all of your feeder items, whether it's uh, insects or feeder rodents.
1: Okay. And how did you guys come up with it or why did you guys come up with it? Because I know that this was something that occurred during the period where you were dealing with curbside delivery and the pandemic. What are we going to do today in order to take care of people approach to doing business? And somehow this idea seemed to come to life out of well,
0: there. I'll, I'll comment. Um, You know, just simply put, We've always had the idea when the cricket bar was at the back of the bus, we would call it a cricket bar, but we never had anything up there that really identified it as that. Um, But I think what you're pointing to, Lee, is the fact that the big thing about COVID when we were closed down for up to two months is we weren't closed down. We were roadside, you know, curbside. It was incredible how much of the percentage of our business was people just Needing bugs. And um, so it, it kind of waited on us as far as, you know, is there something we could do better to improve service at the, at, at the bug bar? And um, I'm not sure who, it, who came up with the idea. It might have even been Sean, but uh, somebody came up with the idea, you know, it would make a lot more sense if the bug bar was up near the front of the bus. And that's where we were serving, is at the front of the bus to make it easier. We were actually moving the tanks up there when we were closed. To just make it more convenient to go out the doors.
2: I think it was definitely like a collaborative yeah. uh, idea. We talked about how to make it easier. Again, I don't remember who suggested putting it where it currently is, but I know that it coalesced as like, you know, me, you, Kerbe, Speed, and then um, our good friend Brian Russell, who runs uh, his own business called Curb Stalker, where he picks up materials and reclaims them uh, to get better use out of them. And he was kind of, uh, oh, man, Rick was, like, the mastermind coming up with the idea of what you wanted the bug bar to look like. And Brian was, like, the brawn behind it of, like, oh, well, this is what I can do. What measurements do you want? I can make it out of this material. I can add these lights to it. Like, he, he really kind of, like, added a spark to, like, some of the ideas that we had but didn't know how to follow through on
0: yeah and and it really really is nice and for the people listening in why is that important Uh, the reality is is when people come in um there's just a lineup oftentimes of uh people that want these crickets and you know we just kind of make them smile a little bit make it a little bit not just a dreary counter that you go to and have to wait you know just make an atmosphere it's right next to the bus that's very colorful and fun and something they can be curious and look at and um And then we can also lay it out so that we can have all the things that they need when they buy their crickets. You might comment on that, Uh, Sean, just the kind of things that you get around the cricket bar that makes it a complete package.
2: Yeah, so um, for me, I I think like, you know, when we talk about this bug bar coming in, it's an eye grabber, like the first thing you come in. And previously, you know, people come in and be like, where do I get feeder insects? I don't know where to go. Um, and this, especially coinciding with, you know, we talked about curbside and found out that's what a majority of people were coming in for speeder. insect fact, it's like, well, here it is. You can kind of just like beeline it right there. But when you look at it, it's kind of grandiose. It's got this giant sign on it and it draws your attention in. And because it's drawing your attention in, I think it's having people see things in the reptile department that they hadn't seen before. You know, previously they would just go around to the end of our bus, get their bugs and then walk out. But when they come up to this current bar, like, all of a sudden when you look through it and you look off to the side of it while you're waiting, you get a view of all of our animals. We have a couple really big display tanks, like, right there. So as you're waiting, you can look into the department and see some of our animals, but you're also waiting in line. You have this gigantic vibarium that has both fish and dart frogs in it. So it kind of, like, added to the overall visual aesthetic of the store that it doesn't just have to be this drab like, You know, like going in when you get groceries, just get them and go. It's like, well, you got this thing you got to grab, but here, there's a ton of things to look at while you're grabbing.
1: Well, it is always an adventure for the eyes when you go in and look around, no uh, question about it. um,
0: uh, Maybe let people know what kind of bugs they would see if they walked up to the bug bar.
2: Yeah. So we try to carry the biggest variety that we can. So. Crickets have always been a mainstay um, as far as reptile feeding goes. And mealworms and superworms, which are both beetle larvae. But when you come up to our bar, not only do you see those, we also have cockroaches of various sizes. Uh, We also have uh, tomato horned worms. And just recently we put in a self-serve refrigerator so when you walk up, uh, you can grab Uromastic mix, you can grab pre-made salads, We've got canisters of uh, jumbo panfish worms and night crawlers. I mean, mealworms, and that's just a lot.
0: mealworms, wax worms,
2: mealworms, wax worms, super worms, cockroaches, horned worms, cricket, salad, panfish worms, and night crawlers.
1: Now, what kind of of animals? are these four? I mean, what, what are we feeding with all of those different kinds of bugs exactly?
2: Well, so I mean, when you when you come to the bug bar, I'd say the majority of people are buying for things like bearded dragons, leopard geckos, um, Frogs. uh, crested, kind of like our mainstay stuff, but there are a lot of other animals in the store that eat some of our bugs. I mean, There's birds that like to munch on the superworms and mealworms and maybe even the waxworms. There's some fish that will eat some of that stuff, too. Um, So we don't see it as just an all-inclusive reptile room thing. You can kind of come up here and get things for any of your animals. Um, Like I said, we have a self-serve salad bar up here, essentially. Uh, You can grab different-sized container salads, and those are good for your small mammals. Uh, Again, there's fish and birds that will munch on that stuff as well as our, our reptiles.
0: I think Lee was getting a little hungry there.
1: Well, no, I'm just thinking, you know, I've heard people asking, is there a decent
2: salad bar in the (laughs) Lansing area Uh after COVID? You'll probably have one of the healthiest mixes you'll find. There you go. There you go. No
1: no salad dressing, though. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now, Sean, when it comes to these creatures, how difficult is it for you uh, to get them? I mean, do a lot of vendors uh, carry that as standard inventory? I mean, I know what it's like with kibble for dogs, but when it comes to these live insects, how do you go about getting them?
2: Well, I mean, just like any other... Food item that you're looking for out there, there's people that specialize in it. So uh, we have a few different sources we can go through, and we've had a mainstay one for years that that is their specialty. They are a cricket farm, so they're breeding tens to hundreds of thousands of crickets a week um, to you know bring to stores like ours. And then you know, obviously with the superworms and the mealworms, waxworms, they're kind of breeding a little bit of everything. Um, and it's not just pet stores that look for them, like farmers look for this stuff too, and insect labs, biology labs. So there is actually a market out there for insect breeding.
0: In, in fact, uh, kind of a trend line going more towards insect eating for humans. Uh, proteins. Uh, now, right now, dog food, there are dog foods out there that you can buy that literally have insect as its pr- primary protein source. And you're going to see more and more of that as time goes on.
1: And Yeah, and that does sound weird to a lot of people, but I will say having a friend who has traveled quite a bit in Asia, uh, that is not uncommon for human beings to eat some of those as proteins. So uh, it might be strange for us here in the U.S., but maybe not so much in the future.
2: No, I mean, it's all cultural. I mean, it depends on where you're raised. I mean, a lot of us who are raised in Michigan, especially northern Michigan, deer is a very, very common protein uh, for us to eat, but it may seem foreign to other people. And, you know, like you said, when you go to other countries, insects may be a primary base of their diet or crocodile or snake. I mean, it, it's really about where you come from.
1: Now, when people come into to get by, how, how often – Is this something that they need to come in? If I've got a reptile at home, is this a weekly trip? Is this a monthly trip? Because, like, you think about, again, I'll use dog food as the example. I mean, you get a 40-pound bag, that's going to last you for a, a good solid several weeks. Is that how it works with the bug bar? And if so, where do you keep them in your home while you're not using them because you don't feed everything to the animals right away?
2: Uh, Yeah, that's a really good question. So a lot of it really kind of depends on what type of reptile you have and how many you have. So typically people who have a wide variety of reptiles at home or multiple, even one, they're going to want to buy hundreds at a time and try to keep them alive for as long as they can. So we actually provide containers to keep the insects in, as well as a wide variety of foods to keep those insects healthy and gut loaded because whatever they're eating is going into your animal. So you want to make sure that they're getting a healthy diet as well. I will say that probably the majority of our, uh, our customers are buying a couple feedings worth at a time. So they may come in and buy anywhere between two dozen and maybe three dozen crickets at a time keep those alive for you know about a week or so and that's enough for them to be able to feed off to their animals at home.
0: And what's interesting about um, some of our insects is it the crickets are a perfect example and then the accompanying fruit fly you know when somebody has a, a certain sized animal they may need something that's so small to feed them that it's even hard to see like the 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 tip of a uh, a pin they're actually called pinhead pinhead crickets right um but uh as that animal gets larger they proceed on with uh with with a bigger diet so we have like six different varieties of Crickets sir. I think it's about, yeah, I think it's six, at least yeah. five different varieties of cricket sizes as an example. Uh, we're going to have to take a break here, Sean. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an audible here, and we're going to do a halftime show when we're done with the break. We're going to talk about um, your world record-holding Um, We're just going to call it a stunt, okay? (laughs) You can call it as you wish, but we're going to call it. And it's something that I think the listening audience are going to, they're just going to want to know about it. If they don't already know, we've got quite the spectacular world record holder on the radio here today, and uh, you'll learn more about it when we come back after the break. Well, we will, and we'll talk with
1: Sean Murphy a little bit more about his record right here on 1320 WILS.
0: Talk show on thirteen twenty WILS. Here are your hosts, Rick Bruce and Lee
1: Cohen. It's nine thirty-five, and we're back here with the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we're talking this morning with Sean Murphy, who is with Bruce Pets. And Sean, before the break, uh, Rick brought up something that. A lot of people may not know about you, but if you've been around for, say, 10 years, uh, I don't think you could forget this little factoid about Sean Murphy. So, Rick, why don't you go ahead and jump in and ask the
0: question? Well, it'll be a mouthful. So, (laughs) (laughs) So everybody loves a cockroach, right? We're just enamored by cockroaches. Not to mention the Madagascar, Madagascar hissing cockroach, which tends to get uh, two and a half inches long, maybe three. Um, and then the question came in Sean's head: I wonder how many of those Madagascar hissing cockroaches I could fit in my mouth. So <laughs> we'll we'll let you take it from here, Sean. And they weren't dead; they were alive, alive, kicking. <laughs> they were. <laughs> Very, very much. Very out. much
2: out. So <laughs> it was um part of a Halloween celebration that we did here at Bruce, um and like twelve or thirteen years ago. And it was to raise money for Harris Nature Center, uh so they could build a new nature overlook. Um, but it came about uh because we had watched a video online of a guy at a like a fair or a festival in Kentucky stuff and cocktails. to the So it kind of became this joke of, oh, like, I have a bigger mouth, I could probably do more than that. So um, Rick got wind of it, we decided, hey, let's go ahead and do it for our Halloween thing, and we'll raise some money while we do it. Um, So we found out that the world record had been 11 hissing cockroaches uh, held in a person's mouth. So we decided to see if I could beat it, and actually started, like, training for it. You know, and... uh,
0: (laughs) I hear the Rocky music uh, right now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so... Yeah, I, I trained with um, one of our former workers, Kevin Hill, and we did all these funny training montages of me stuffing marshmallows in my mouth and everything else. Um, and then when the event came, I, uh, I smashed the previous record. I ended up doing 16. So Guinness heard about this, and so we got like a, an educator and filled out all their forms and everything to get me officially in the, the record book. Um, And there ended up being a couple issues with the paperwork, so then they sent me out to L.A., and we shot a pilot episode of a Guinness TV show where um, Jamie Kennedy hosted it, and they had people go head-to-head with uh, doing these world records. So I ended up, like, you know, doing the record out there and was officially recognized. But then they scrapped that TV show and wanted to shoot a different version of it, so I actually got flown out there again. And on the second time... Um, I started doing it, and I usually count um, so I know where I'm at. That way I can tell them to hit the timer. And on this occasion, like the third or fourth cockroach in, it got lodged in my throat, and I was trying not to throw up, and I just started stuffing them in my mouth as quickly as I could without even counting them. And I got to the point where, like, I just couldn't hold anything. I told them to count, and to go through, uh, I hit the timer, spit all of them out, And it turns out I had 22 uh, in my mouth. uh, Unfortunately, one passed away, so the official record then became 21. Gotcha, gotcha. um, I not only smashed my own record, I just completely obliterated the original record, too.
0: And uh, something that would wonder in thinking, could this possibly be harmful? Uh, Talk a little bit about uh, kind of the the characteristic of putting them in your mouth?
2: Um, Well, I mean, they are pretty big. They all had to be at least two and a half inches long. Um, And hissing cockroaches have an exceptionally hard exoskeleton. Uh, But one of the primary defenses is they actually have these really barbed legs, really, really thick, uh, just basically needles coming off of their legs. Um, So because of that, um, you can get a lot of issues with being cut, uh, them getting stuck, and as I mentioned, like, I, I kind of ended up with them like stuck in my throat at one point, which is why I had to kind of rush through it. Um, but you know, it's, there's a pretty big choking hazard that could, that could go along with it. So, so, so I think the um,
0: footnote is, don't try this at home.
2: Oh, definitely not. No, <laughs> I, I I wouldn't even try it in a professional setting if I were the average person. Well, let's
1: <laughs> put it this way: I would have to drink a lot of Guinness in order to try that whole thing. Because I got to tell you, I still 12 years later am in amazement that the fact that you did that. Now, what animals were you denying of their food? By taking all of their cockroaches
0: and using them, I'm, I mean who who usually eats them? Well, those? Act- actually, those ones are usually not fed to many animals. Uh, they're larger, and oh, okay. but, but they tend to be pets. You know, things oh, that you yeah, can yeah. keep as a pet. Okay, so
2: yeah, uh, so um, yeah, those ones. Uh, there's not a lot of animals that will eat them. Um, I've tried feeding some of them off before out of different colonies, and they just. Uh, a lot of animals just don't like them. Um, I'm mm-hmm. guessing they also maybe have a bad flavor. The ones that we focus on for food in the store are actually ones called dubia roaches. Uh, they're a subtropical species that tend to have a, a soft exoskeleton, and they don't have those barbed legs, so a little bit easier for animals to handle.
0: And, and um, I guess for the listening audience, um, tell it what, what comes to mind when you think of cockroaches? What do people not know about cockroaches?
2: Well, if we're talking about hissing cockroaches, one of the things that people don't know is they're actually pretty clean. Um, they live in symbiosis with a, a mite that lives across their exoskeleton and actually cleans them off. It keeps uh, bacteria and other bugs away from them. So, and even you know the dubia roaches we carry are actually a pretty clean species. Um, I think people get this uh, mindset that roaches are these kind of disgusting creatures because more often than not, we're seeing them in some kind of, you know, Disgusting settings, but more or less that has to do with, like, food sources and hiding spots.
0: Yeah, and, they, um, and, 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 quantity, of, and quantity of life, you know. When, when a thousand stack up on top of each other, inevitably, no matter how clean they are, uh, problems can happen.
2: Oh, yeah, totally. Um, but, you know, it's uh, there's lots of misnomers out there about, like, all animals. And the best we can do is try to, to educate people as best we can. They don't have to like the animal after that by any means, but, you know, at least they can maybe walk away with a better understanding and a better respect about them.
1: Now, when it comes to these insects and and the animals that eat them, I'm assuming that that is just out of nature. The animals that they could get is what they got. But uh, talk about the types of animals that are, again, going to be wanting these types of of foods? Or do they prefer others, but this is all they can get?
2: Well, reptiles, for the most part, are pretty opportunistic hunters. That means whatever comes their way, um, as long as it's not toxic, they're going to go ahead and eat it. Um, So they don't really get uh, picky, uh, per se, with anything that we're feeding them. Uh, you know, if it's moving, they're going to go ahead and try to taste it. So what we try to do is offer up the best uh, quality as far as nutrition goes uh, to any of our animals. So that's why, you know, we focus a lot on what our cricket and cockroach diets are. We make sure that they're getting gut loaded full of plenty of good vegetable nutrients, that they're fully hydrated, that they have good protein sources. And then that way, no matter whether we're feeding out the cockroaches, the superworms, or the, the crickets, we know our animals are getting the most nutritious thing they can out of it.
0: And, and uh, we tend to dust the crickets. Uh, talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so this is uh, where chemistry comes into play. And I, I will say for someone who's taken like six semesters of chemistry, this is the only time I ever use it. We look at phosphorus versus calcium. So exoskeletons of a, an insect are primarily made up of, they're made up of chitin, which is phosphorus-based. But for a reptile, they need calcium in their diet. Otherwise, their bones get brittle. Essentially, especially for a lot of diurnal reptiles, day active ones, they can get what's called metabolic bone disease. And that's essentially osteoporosis for reptiles. So if they're not getting enough calcium, along with not getting enough exposure to UVB radiation, which they would naturally get from sunlight, but get from replication bulbs in captivity, uh, their bones get brittle. So as a supplement, we actually have a variety of calcium powders that we offer Um one of the main ones we recommend is called Mineral, but there's also some stuff by Repassi, like we have, um, like, Vitamin A Plus is, is a really good one, for example. And what we do is we throw all those insects in a bag or a cup, we pour a little bit of uh, the calcium powder on, shake them around, basically shake and bake chicken so they get coated in it, and then you just go ahead and put that into their enclosure. And the reptiles don't really seem to, to notice any difference in them, but it. It really does help with the calcium supplementation. Because in captivity, what you're looking for is a two-to-one calcium-to-phosphorus ratio. And, again, because insect exoskeletons are so high in phosphorus, all this calcium offsets that and then adds back into it.
0: Interesting. Well, hey, hey Sean, um, uh, we're going to have to take a break again. But when we come back, I want to do kind of the reptile small animal room potpourri. If you will. Uh, we're going to talk about things that are going on. You get to be there on a regular daily basis. Everybody that's listened, for the most part, don't have that opportunity. So you need to tell us a little bit about the happenings in the small animal and reptile area, if you would. Then that's the conversation okay. we'll have with Sean Murphy right here on
1: 1320 WILS. Blackbird singing in the dead of night.
2: We're not saying Rick and Lee are secretly animals trapped inside human bodies who keep interviewing pet experts to figure out how to escape. But it's certainly a possibility.
0: It's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320
1: WILS. We're back here with the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we've been talking this morning all about different bugs and insects that you'd find featured at the bug bar inside of Bruce Betts. And our guest this morning is Sean Murphy, who is one of the more knowledgeable people about the subject, and as we heard in the last (laughs) segment, a record holder when it comes to these bugs and insects. But uh, Sean, Rick had the question he wants to lead you with into segment
0: four. So, Rick, have Adam. Well, hey, Sean. Uh, a lot of things happen in the reptile room, and certainly the bug bar is our most uh, um, traffic-centered place. In fact, uh, I think I wanted to mention to the audience, uh, one of the other things that's kind of cool is it went went well with the idea of providing faster, better service. Uh, We can talk about the layout and being near the sink and the care, and there's a lot of care that goes on to keep that reptile room going. Talk a little bit about the everyday life in the small animal reptile area.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, um, coming in each morning is a lot like working at a zoo. I mean, the the first thing you do is you you come in, you check all of your animals' health, make sure everybody's in good condition and that all your equipment is in working order. And then after that, it's just straight-up care. Uh, We go through every single animal here. Uh, we check to make sure that their temperatures are correct, that their humidity levels are correct. We top off uh, waters that need it and change out waters as needed. We top off everybody's food. Uh, we have feeding regimens for a lot of our animals because some of them get different diets every day. Um, and, you know, coinciding with the bug bar, we also have to do all that with the insects. So we make sure our insects get cleaned out every day as well as providing uh, nutritious diets for them. Like, we actually give our... Uh, our crickets, a lot of our veggies that we feed to our reptiles, along with some, like, protein sources and some uh, cricket bites-based food. Um, it, there's a lot that goes into daily care for animals. I mean, if, if you kind of compare it to what you do at home, just extrapolate that to, you know, three or 400 animals per department, and that's what you're doing each day.
0: Yeah, and the um, Grand Central Station of employees, not so much customers. Customers, yes, uh, the... The bug bar is a substantial place and then just the overall traffic around to see all the animals and kind of check things out. All departments seems to, you know, buzz. But the the Grand Central Station for the reptile room has always been, this. Uh, the, the employees, has always been the sink area and the cutting block area. You know, it's just the most time consuming and that's where you are if you're not with a customer. And sure enough, just to the right of the cutting block, just to the left of the sink, is the bug bar. So it, it enables the person that's actually doing that type of work to see that somebody's waiting for some bugs, some insects, and they can stop what they're doing, they can get it taken care of, and the customers get a lot better help. Before, they would have to ring a bell. And uh, my employees got trained pretty well at that. It was, uh, it was quite the Pavlov's uh, <laughs> event. Yeah, uh, I was event. just liking that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and right on my
2: mouth. <laughs> they just made a Pavlovian <laughs> response where, like, Instantly, you kind of shiver a little bit. You're like, oh, somebody else is over there, and, and, and you know, you, yeah, one, yeah, yeah. One a, of the things we really wanted to focus on was uh, was efficiency, and that running back and forth just didn't really, it didn't work well for either customer or employee. A lot of times, yeah. what would happen is you help somebody, you know, you get their crickets, put them on their way, and then you come back over to the sink to start a project or coalesce with your employees to feel you like, oh, know what needs to happen next, and then the bell rings again. And we've realized that each day every employee was walking probably an average of 10 to 15 minutes per person just back and forth with a bug bar in the sink. Yeah. So then it made sense just to put it all in one spot. So we, we created a new area where uh, we've got, I'd say, about a 10-foot-long work bar, uh, countertop area where we prepare veggies. Uh, we have drying racks and uh, where we can also clean pages. And then install the big kitchen-style famous steel sink with three tubs um, and sprayers. So now we have, like, this kind of all-in-one efficient work area where you can clean, you can um, uh, go ahead and produce stuff and, like, uh, get things ready for the day, and then also immediately be there for customers. And then for the customer's sake, they can immediately see us, too. So instead of having to look for somebody or ring a bell, they walk up. There's almost always somebody up there, and they Giants just immediately get their orders. It, it,
0: it's uh, kind of like Champ's Restaurant, where you can actually see the, the things that are being produced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, um, so tell me something. Um, How's um, How are we doing? You know, one of the things that can happen, depending on the time of year, is... Uh, the animals that we want to find homes, the, these loving pets, uh, can be in short supply, and and customers are plenty. And then there's other situations where it can be the opposite, where we have more than we need. Um, we never typically have more than we need because, uh, well, we can kind of control that. But what are the animals we have available right now that one might want to know about, uh, especially maybe in the small animal department? But yeah, department wide, how's it looking?
2: Uh, you know, department-wide, we do our best to keep up on customer demand, especially since we do a lot of in-house breeding. You know, we don't want to be getting from large farms or anything like that. We, we try to be sustainable. Uh, but as you mentioned, it goes seasonally. So um, recently we had some Degus uh, give birth. So we have in-house bred Degu babies here. And for those of you who don't know what a Degu is, they are a cousin to the chinchilla, but they basically look like a giant gerbil. So imagine a gerbil about the size of a softball uh, that is hyperactive and loves attention and can bond to people really easily, and, and you have yourself a dagger.
0: Yeah, and they live quite a while. So that's, that's one of the beauties. Uh, you know, if there's one thing that you would compare this to as far as personality and temperament and overall, like, hey, I want to have a relationship rather than an animal to look at, it would be kind of in the same general ballpark as a rat, maybe a little bit more hyperactive but uh, lives quite a bit longer.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, as you said, being a cousin of the, the chinchilla, they could be hyperactive but also, you know, active the people. But they do have a very personable style to them, much like a rat, where they like to be in bonded pairs. And if you don't have a bonded pair, you become their new playmate, essentially, the one that they want to bond to. Mm-hmm. Um So they become an animal that hangs out with you wherever you go. You can put them in the, you know, the hood of your, uh, sorry, the pocket of your hoodie. Um, you know, you can let them run around on the couch with you and play and stuff like that. And unlike a rat that typically lives about two years, uh, maybe two and a half, degus, you're actually looking at over five years, um, much longer lifespan. Um, and as we all know, like losing a pet is no easy task. So, um, having something with a little bit more longevity uh, really works out better for certain people.
1: What kind of food do they eat?
2: So, degus are one of the few animals, aside from humans, that can very easily get diabetes. Uh, so, we have to have a very regulated diet form. They have a special pellet, brand, uh, pellet blend that is very low in sugar. Um, we can give them some treats, so we'll include a little bit of... Uh, you know, pumpkin seed in with their diet. But for the most part, it's just a, a uh, pellet-based diet for those guys.
0: And I, I think about all this when uh, we're going into the summer season, right? Uh, kids are starting to get out of school. Uh, they got lots of companions and friendships at schools, but sometimes, you never know, you know, you might want something that might keep keep your child more interested, more active, uh, kind of some companionship above and beyond what uh, they might be getting um, elsewhere in the summer. So, you know, I thought of a uh, Daegu, you know. Uh, what kind of age group would that be for, and what other animals do you have there that might be worth considering?
2: Well, you know, the, the age group thing is always interesting because we kind of look at, you know, the the independency of the child and their maturity level. But for the most part, I would say a is good for kids over the age of five or six Um if the parents are definitely helping in more with like how they're taking care of them, but uh, as far as like being independently cared for by a child, you know, eight, nine, ten years old and above, uh, they just work out really well, uh, just like rats do, um, or guinea pigs as well. Guinea pigs are a great pet for so, such children. Such a great pet,
0: such a great pet. Yeah,
2: I know they're one of your favorites, Rick, and. Uh, I have to tell everybody this. When I worked here the first time, I wasn't a huge fan of guinea pigs. Like I love them because I I love all animals. That's why I'm involved in animal care. But they weren't one of those things. that's like, oh yeah, guinea pig. I really want those. Something changed in me the second time working here, and I absolutely love guinea pigs now. Mm-hmm. Um, something just clicked with like the cuteness of their face, the way that they like to chirp and talk to everybody. Um, the way that they can become a very cuddly animal, one that enjoys interaction with people, I guess that's something I never really experienced before, but somehow experienced now. So, uh,
1: we want to thank you so much for your information. We've been speaking with Sean Murphy from Proust Pets, and. Uh, Rick, I'm sorry to say that we have to say goodbye for this week, but we want to thank our producer, Bruce Warner, and my co-host, Rick Bruce. This is Lee Cohen wishing all of you a great weekend and a great week ahead. We'll talk next weekend on the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Meantime, all of you have a great Memorial Day weekend, and please take good care of your pets. Have a great week, everyone.